membership matters. It's a lot of M's. And this meaningful membership matters. We have been looking at membership. Now, what I've been trying to do is not to just show you every text that talks about membership, and that way you say, oh yeah, that makes sense. The Bible tells me, so I have to do it. But I want to show you the beauty of church membership, the value of church membership. So I'm trying to do more than just give you a bunch of scripture passages and tell you to do it, but I want you to love it, to like it, to see the importance of the church today. There's a kid's song, and I'm going to butcher it, but it's the knee bone is connected to the thigh bone. The thigh bone's connected to the hip bone. The hip bone's connected to the backbone. The backbone's connected to the neck bone. And, right? and that's a song that they sing, and it's to um, point to this all being connected. Right? Obviously, they are not scientists, and they're not scientifically accurate. But what they're doing is they're showing us that the body is connected. And that's the, the language that Scripture uses when it talks about the Bible or about the church, excuse me, that we are the body of Christ. So we really emphasize the household or the, the family of God. We were really emphasizing that the last three weeks. And so now we're going to emphasize the body, that church membership is membership in the body. So we're going to be in Romans chapter 12, verses 3 through 8. What I want you to know, if you take nothing else from this passage, that being a member provides you with personal spiritual growth and that God has designated a household of faith, meaning that he has given us individual gifts for the building up of each other in a balanced way. So turn to Romans chapter 12, 3 through 8. If you don't have a Bible, grab one from the seat in front of you, but you're going to want something, some Bible passages in front of you. Otherwise, this will not make a whole lot of sense. So Romans chapter 12, which is the big number, is 12, and the small numbers are the verses. Verse 3 begins like this. For by the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function, in the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. According to the grace given to us, we have differing gifts. If prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. If teaching, in teaching. If exhorting, in ex exhortation. Giving, with generosity leading with diligence, showing mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we have seen in your word that you have created a body of believers, and we are to be members of that body. We are to be part of it. And we are to use our gifts for your glory, for the, for the church, for edification of the saints, for the building up of believers. So Father, I pray that you would... Give us your spirit-enabled gifts that we would be able to worship you and we would be people who use their gifts in service to you. Father, we thank you for your son and the freedom that we have through Jesus Christ. And we thank you for the opportunity we have to worship you. Lord, we also thank you for 
the releasing of so many pastors in Canada who have been arrested for holding church services. Father, we thank you that uh, you have allowed them to be released. And uh, we want to worship you in spirit and truth today. And all these things, all God's people said, amen. So we see that Paul, in verses 1 and 2, is just finished talking about a living sacrifice. And you've actually heard this last year. Uh, we've had a couple sermons on it from various visiting pastors, and Barney also preached on this passage. So we're not going to beat it to death, but essentially a living sacrifice. So I want you to remember he's writing to the people in Rome, the church in Rome. Obviously, that's why it's called the book of Romans, right? So he's writing a letter to the Romans, the people in Rome. He's writing to the church, and he's trying to explain key theological information. So Paul has never been to Rome. Most of the churches he writes to, he's already been to, except for this one and a couple others. And so he's writing to Rome, and he's trying to explain to them the church. And this is early on in Christian history. The church is just kind of budding in the Roman Empire, and it is starting to grow. And as they grow, what do you think are some growing pains that they would be suffering? Well, how do we do church? What is this thing called the church? And so Paul gets real practical here. He gets real practical in how we can be living sacrifices, how we can be useful in the church. He, um, he shows us how meaningful ministry happens. He says that the church is God's ordained vehicle for changing the world. Have you ever thought about the church that way? That it is God's vehicle for the changing of the world. It's the church that supports missionaries. It's the church that has societies that study God's word together, that praise him, that worship him. In the Revolutionary War, the um, British gave a derogatory term to the clergy in America. They called them the Black Robe Regiment, because obviously they wore the black robes. It was the, typically the Presbyterians, and they were preaching and emphasizing the importance of freedom from tyranny. And so the, the British crown would burn churches in the Revolutionary War. They would use them to um, store their goods. They would, they would pillage and ransack churches in particular because it was the church that was influencing a portion of the Revolutionary War. The church changes the world. So if it's God's ordained vehicle, why are we scared to become members of a body of believer? It's, uh, it's for evangelism. It does the work of the ministry through word and prayer. So let's go ahead and look at verse 3. It says, for by the grace given to me. Now remember, Paul is writing, and he says, for the grace given to me, I tell everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he should think. Why would Paul use some ink to write that? Well, the first step in understanding the church is right thinking. Where do you belong in a church? Now, it's, it's popular today to, to have these church growth movements and to have an attractional church. And the goal is to bring in the unbeliever, which is an admirable goal. But the problem is, they said that church is for the unbeliever. 
The problem with that is that is not what we see here. Church is for the believer first. And then we prepare a diet for those who believe. And if they come and eat, we're not going to change our menu if goats show up. Right? We keep it for the sheep. So, right thinking. The first step we have to do is we have to think rightly. And how does Paul tell us to think rightly? Well, we should not think more highly of ourselves. Instead, think sensibly as God has distributed a measure of faith to each one. So think sensibly or think rightly, depending on how your translation puts it. So what does that mean? That means, first off, church isn't about you. It's not about you. It's not about your favorite seat. It's not your favorite carpet color. It's not about your favorite pew. It's about worshiping God. And if it's about worshiping God, how can you think about yourself as a part of the body? So most of us, before we grow in our maturity as Christians, when we come to church, we think we're the head. It's all about me. It's about my comfort. I've always done it this way. This is how it has to be. The reality is, Paul says, don't think more highly of yourself, but think sensibly. So the first thing we notice is that grace is given. He says, by the grace given to me. So gifts, our gifts are graciously given. Paul was given a message and a proportion of faith in which he was to use for the church. The second thing we see is that God is the giver. We see that God is the giver. He has given to Paul a portion. He has the grace given to me. And we'll see more about that as we see verse 6. But he has a purpose. And what is the purpose? The purpose is mentioned in verse 2. Do not be conformed to this age, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may discern what is the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. To do God's will. That's the purpose. Look at the scope. It is for everyone who is a Christian. Everyone is called to be, live a life dedicated to service. Paul points out an important aspect of living in the church. Right thinking. One of the biggest causes of dissension in a church is fights. Fights because people think they are more than they are. Because they think it's all about them. This is, you see this over and over again in all of our churches. There's a lack of humility. Some people feel like they have earned a place. You know, back in the day, they used to have pews, family pews that you would rent and that they would only allow that family to own that pew in the church because they gave so much money. They felt like they had earned a spot. What does that tell us about our faith? None of us earned anything to get here. It's a gift. It's a free gift of God. So right thinking means you are humble when it comes to your place in the church. Your gifts are given by God, which means... They are for the purpose of service, and so we're required to think sensibly. So we see that he distributed a measure of faith. Now, think about that for a minute. God has distributed a measure of faith. 
Now, we as Americans, modern-day Americans, we love equality, don't we? Everything is equal in America. Everything has to be equal, otherwise something ain't right. Have you ever tried to make a cake and use all the same amount of ingredients? I'm going to put the same amount of salt as they put the same amount of sugar in the cake. Guess what? That, that cake ain't going to taste so good, is it? But that's what we think of when we think about the church. The reality is some of us were given greater amounts of gift, of gifting. Does that bother you? That some, of, some people in the church have better and more gifts than you or stronger gifts than you? It bothers a lot of people because they're like, well, what if I'm one of the ones that doesn't have that much of a gift? Can I be useful in the church? Guess what? We're going to answer that, but we're not going to answer it yet. So we have to swallow this concept. Some of you have more gifts than others. Some of you have been given more, and some of you have been given less in order to develop those gifts as time progresses. And so we have this type of gift, and we have a capacity. Some of our gifts are greater. Some of our gifts are lesser. I don't like using greater and lesser, not because they're more important. So don't hear what I'm not saying. They are not more important or less important. It's just that you have more of a capacity. So what happens when you have a gift? So think about your gift. Now, if you don't have a gift or you don't know what your gift is, just pretend, make up one in your mind. And think about that gift. Let's say you have the gift of service. You are just there. You are a person that shows up. You are a person that cleans the bathroom, changes the toilet paper. That is your gift. You know it. You love it. That's what you do. But there are some people in the church who come up here and start flapping their gums. That seems like a more important gift than the gift of service sometimes, doesn't it? So the tendency is to do one of two things. The first thing, to belittle your gift. My gift isn't really that great. I, you know, uh, I, just, I just do some stuff. It's not, I'm not really that important to the church. You know, I, just, I show up and I, I'm here. And they belittle the gift. And if you belittle that gift, sometimes you refuse to use them. Well, I'm just, all I can do is help serve in the nursery, so I'm just not going to come. Or I'd rather have a different gift. And then other people will boast about gifts they don't have. Well, I don't have the gift of public speaking, so I am not going to talk to nobody. So I'm not a friendly person. I'm a grouch. So I'm just going to hide out. Right? We, We either belittle it or we boast about gifts we don't have. And what happens is, There's a refusal to acknowledge God's grace in giving of the gifts. Just like the men with the talents. Now, talent is money, not your ability. Back in the day, remember the Greek money unit. And the talent, he gave some more money and some lesser money. The master did. And then he came back, and what did some of the people in the parable do? Well, some of them invested. Some of them used their talents for more money in order to help support the master more. Then one guy was scared, so he buried his money in the ground, and he got less. So if you have been given a measure of ability of the gift, your job is to find how you can use it in the church, for the church. So how can you think rightly about your gifts? Because that's kind of what we're talking about here, thinking rightly. 
First, you need to find out what you are gifted to do. And how do you find out what you're gifted to do? Just sit there and and think about it, dwell on it for hours, possibly spend months doing all those uh, internet games, not games, surveys that says you're like a princess and you're this princess or that princess. I don't don't know what that, that is, but... But they have these, these, these surveys you can do online. And they also have spiritual inventory gifts. And they've gathered all the gifts that they think they found in the Bible. And based on your answers, you have this gift. You know what the best way of discovering what your gifts are? Doing. Try it. Try the nursery. Say, Joy, I'm going to try the nursery. I may not like it. I may be horrible, but I'm going to be there. And it may be the worst day of your life. But guess what? You've checked one of your giftings off the list. You probably don't have that gift. What about the children? You go and you say, man, I'm really good at teaching. And the the more you teach children, the, the more you realize, man, I really love to teach. And the more you grow as a Christian and you begin to use your gift for the good of the church. There is so many opportunities here, but guess what? They're not fancy opportunities. We're not gonna have the whole congregation come up here and preach sermons together, right? It takes... A little bit here, a little bit there for different purposes. So you try different things. The third thing you do is to serve however you can. Even if it's not your gifting, guess what? Serve. I I hate to say it, but maybe you don't love children. Maybe you just do not like babies. That's weird. I don't know why you would not like babies, but let's say you don't like them. Or maybe you don't like other people's babies. I don't know. But you serve for the good of the church until you find a better spot for you. That means you don't give up after one bad day. So the first thing we do is we think rightly about ourselves. We find that we have a gift. Everyone in this church who is a Christian, a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, has a gift. You have something to contribute to the body of Christ. It may be a lesser or a greater in a capacity, but you have something to give to this congregation. And so we have to think rightly about ourselves and about our church family. And you'll see that's the second point of our message today. We think rightly about our church family. We understand that we have a distributed measure of faith or grace, but we also have to think rightly about the church. Otherwise, we lose our focus because then we're thinking about ourselves, right? Well, I'm not going to go to that church because I can't use all my gifts, I have so many gifts and that church won't let me use them, so I'm going to go somewhere else or be a lone ranger. What we see is verse 4. Now, as we have many parts in one body, and all the parts do not have the same function. We have many parts, one body. Think about this analogy, this metaphor, this, this illustration that Paul is starting to use. He's talking about the body. He says that they all have different functions. In the same way, we who are many are one body in Christ and individually members one to another. So in the same way, we as the church are like the body. So when you think about a body, our body has different parts, doesn't it? And when you think about the different parts, the head bones connected to the neck bone, we all are connected to each other for the purpose of building one one another up and worshiping God. And so if that's the case, what if you're a hand? What if you're a foot? 
What if you're a neck? What if you're some other body part? If your body started to talk to itself, and we're going to see that Paul's body talks to itself, and my hand says to my foot, you know what? I don't want me to be the hand anymore. You start doing that work. What's going to happen? I'm going to fumble, right? So my, uh, my son is at the age now where he has figured out grabbing and shoving food in his mouth, right? And as he does this, he had to learn some motor functions. And he had to really think about what he's reaching for. He grabs his little peaches or whatever, and he brings them up to his face and he misses, right? And he does it again. And it, persistence is the uh, key word for a child. And so he persists and he has to think about every aspect of his motion. Can you imagine if you had to think about every aspect of your day-to-day life? You get out of bed. Now, some of us groan and creak as we get out. And as we get out of bed, everything's groaning and creaking. But do you have to think about, okay, left foot, right foot, left foot, right foot, and you begin to walk. And then as you're walking, you're thinking about each step you have to take. You wouldn't really get a lot done if you had to spend all of your time considering how each part of your body moved. And so Paul's metaphor in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12, is really a a wonderful metaphor for this, uh, for our understanding. And so I'm going to read it, and I just, I kind of get a little bit of a chuckle out of it, because if it was like a kid's book, man, we would be laughing. Uh, But 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And then verse 12. It says, For just as the body is one, and has many parts, and all the parts of that body, though many, are one body, so also is Christ. For we were all baptized one spirit into one body, whether Jew or Greek, whether slave or free, and we were all given one spirit to drink. Indeed, the body is not one part, but many. Now this is my favorite part, okay? Just so you know my childish mind. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, is it, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it is not for that reason any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, which is just a, think about that, your whole body is an eye, anyways, um, like an alien, but... Hey, there you go. Aliens in the Bible. Um, If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But, But as it is, God has arranged each one of the parts in the body just as he wanted. And if they were all the same part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I don't need you. Or again, the head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. On the contrary, those parts of the body that are weaker are indispensable. And those parts of the body that we consider less honorable, we clothe those with great honor, and our unrespectable parts are treated with greater respect, which our respectable parts do not need. Instead, God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the less honorable. So that, now this is the reason, there would be no division in the body, but that the members would have the same concern for each other. So the purpose of the church is to be a body. Each one of you are a part 
of that body, regardless of what you think about yourself. So you could say, well, I don't really have a super important role. All I do is change toilet paper in the ladies' bathroom. That's an important role. No pun intended. That's an important job. <laughs> but we all are part of this body. So how easy, though, is it for us to, to ignore this fact? That, that Sunday morning when you wake up and you're just tired. And you're like, I am dog tired. I don't want to go to church today. You go to church because you are a member of that body. So how do we think about this? How do, what are the implications? Well, what is it about the church as a body that helps you to think rightly about meaningful church membership? Meaningful membership. Now, honestly, at this point, it seems so simple because a child could figure this out, right? If you are a member of a body, you don't have time to bounce out, to leave, to go away. What, what about the toe is so unimportant? Have you ever thought about that, our toes? They only really get our attention when we stub them or we hurt them or we got something wrong with them, don't they? But have you ever seen someone without a big toe? Do you know that it's really hard for people to learn to walk if they have no big toe? And we think of it as a, such a small part of our body, but it has massive importance. So you may think of yourself as a big toe. I don't know if anybody does, but if you do, you are needed. We can't walk without you. So let's think about the implications. This is how we function. So the person that is there to change diapers is an indispensable part of this congregation. Those of you who are teaching or leading or organizing or serving all have massive impacts in this congregation. And we cannot do church without you. Now, there are things that I don't do well. As Joy would tell you, I am not great with the whole keeping account of the receipts. Not my own receipts. Don't worry, I don't spend money frivolously. But I really am bad at printing them out and getting them to her. I'm not great in organization. But there are people, like Ryan, who has to do all my organizing for me. And so that's why we hired him. And he's a, a valuable member of the church because he helped me organize what I need to do. And in the same way, there are things that you are gifted at that you should really lean into that you're not leaning into. There's things that you're not so gifted at that maybe you should not lean into. And you may know this about yourself. So let's think about this for a minute. Objections. I object your honor, maybe what you are thinking. Why do I have to join a church? Why should I be a member at a local church with my giftings? I don't have to join a church to be useful to that body of believers. That's a, a common argument. And it's true. You could be a hired hand. You could be going from one place to another, but there is an inherent lack of commitment and growth. You will not truly grow as a believer if you jump from church to church just using your gifts where you think you can fit in. 
It's kind of like the difference between a trained military and a mercenary force. In a trained military, they are planning your life for you, right? They know what duty stations you should go to and you have to go to, and they put you where they want to put you. And part of it is for your growth as a leader, right? So there's a variety of duty assignments that you're required to have. There are certain taskings that you have to do. You have to be a drill sergeant or a recruiter or an instructor. They have different teaching things before you can move on to this next rank. Whereas with a mercenary force, it's all about money. It's all about bodies and where we can send them. So on our bases, they started hiring up mercenaries for guarding the, uh, the fences. Then they were mainly from Uganda. And these guys were getting paid well for Ugandans. And they were hired hands to guard the base. And they just did that for 12 hours a day. They would just guard the, the, the walls. And they did a great job. But at the end of their time, what's going to happen? You can go back to Uganda with a pocket full of money. Whereas with the military guys, at the end of our time, we would go and get more training. We'd get more school. We'd get more education. We would get more opportunities for growth. And so the same way, when you think about the church, you can be a non-member and just go from church to church, but you're never fully going to grow. You are just going to be a hired hand. So I want you to think carefully about that. And it brings us to our third point, that we think rightly about our church family, which then helps us to mature together. And that's really the thrust of this text, that we mature together. So Paul lays out a list of some of the gifts that God bestows on believers. And we need to take note that it is a gift. We've talked about this. It's bestowed by God. Look at verse 6. It says, according to the grace given to us, we have different gifts. Did you hear that? Grace given to us. Same, same word, grace. And what Paul is pointing out is that this is a gift. It's given for the purpose of edifying each other, which is a fancy word of saying developing each other, maturing each other. Once again, we have proportion. And each one of us could have a different amount of ability. Look at verse 6. Use it according to the proportion of one's faith. So, prophecy. Prophecy is a complicated word. It can be used in many different ways. Some people consider it to mean forth-telling, right? Telling the future, prophesying of the future. We see a lot of that in the Old Testament and even aspects in the New Testament. And so this, this forth-telling is happening in a time when the New Testament was not fully written. There are uh, needs of local churches to understand how to function, and God provided divine inspiration, divine revelation to these people to handle uh, church issues. And that's what, kind of what we see with Paul. But we also know that it also could mean what the pastor does by preaching the Word of God, by expositing God's Word. And so, Back in the uh, Puritan days, they would call it the art of prophesying. And that basically meant how to preach God's word. They weren't sitting around having seances, but they were sitting there practicing preaching and comparing and teaching each other how to preach, the art of prophesying. So there are these two ways that we can understand this word for prophecy. And for me, I think that true biblical prophecy ended when the New Testament did. 
I think that once they had God's revealed will at the end of the New Testament, prophecy is finished. Now, what I do think is that we have um, impressions, divine impressions. So why I say that is there are some instances where someone will say something like, hey, God told me to tell you da-da-da-da-da. And it turns out to be true, right? We've seen this happen. So what is that? The problem is half the time they're wrong, especially like the guy that gets up and he says uh, to the 20-year-old lady that he likes, God told me to marry you, right? We probably don't consider that a prophecy. But impressions do happen, and I think God does impress upon us certain things. So the difference between a prophecy and an impression is that prophecies are true, they're going to happen, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to happen. That's what's going to happen. We see it in the Old Testament, we see it in the New Testament. But impressions... We have a feeling or a gut sense or, or whatever you want to call it, and that could be divine intervention guiding us, or it could not be, right? And we want to take that loosely. That's why in Corinthians it talks about testing, right? Test to see what they say. And so that's why um, I think here this is a specific gift for a specific time in the New Testament. It's a type of foretelling, telling people how the church should run. But... That's something that we can disagree on very easily because there's lots of information about prophecy in the New Testament. The second thing we see is service. So if prophecy, use it according to the proportion of one's faith. If service, use it in service. And the Greek word here is diakonet. Ever heard that word before? Ever heard the word of deacon? Servant. So what it's saying here, and actually I'm just I'm gonna geek out real quick with you guys. There's a lot of really cool words in this passage, like deacon and prophecy and the the uh, exhorting one and the generosity. Like exhorting has the same kind of key basis as uh, the comforter, the Holy Spirit. Anyways, um, not important, not germane to our topic, but just a little bit geeky. These words are very interesting. So if you get bored, get on accordance out and start looking at these words. All right, diaconate. So if you are gifted with the gift of service, then you need to use it in service. And, and here's, a, here's the deal, guys. You don't have to be a deacon to serve or a deaconess to serve. You just have to serve. Find ways to serve. You see, if you go to the bathroom and the toilet paper's out, go grab a roll of toilet paper and replace it. It's real simple, friends. So you don't have to tell the pastor, but you can go and just replace it. So there are things that you can do if you say, oh man, this place needs a vacuum. Let me grab a vacuum and help out or the trash needs to be taken out. You can find ways to serve easily. Um, the women and the deaconesses have all these opportunities and so reach out to them. Teaching. And if you're going to be a teacher, you need to use it in, guess what? Teaching. It's real hard, guys. If you have the gift of teaching, you use it in teaching. But here's the thing with teaching. You need to show yourself approved. If someone teaches, they are held to a stricter standard. That's what James tells us. And so don't just desire to be a teacher because you think it's going to give you street cred. I don't know why anyone thinks teaching the Bible will give you street cred, but if it does, just remember what you say, what comes out of your mouth is going to be held in stricter account. So you have to show yourself approved. So Sometimes I like to tell people that if you are called to ministry, it is a calling to prepare, to spend time in the Word, studying the Word, getting training in God's Word. So teaching, um, exhorting, this is a fun, a fun one. If exhorting, use it in exhortation. 
Did you know that there used to be an office in the church called the Exhorter? There was a, I can't remember his name, but he was a, uh, he was 16 years old. And his office was exhortation. And so after the preacher got done preaching, he would come up to the pulpit and he would say, Deacon John, you need to get your kids in check, according to what the pastor said. Uh, you are doing some naughty business over there, uh, you know, so-and-so. And he would call people out, and that's what they called exhortation. Can you imagine if we had an office like that in this church? That guy would get beat up. They're like, okay, catch me outside real quick. How about that? Um, and, and so what would happen is... This guy would exhort, and he was 16 years old. That was his gifting. And I don't understand why they called that exhorting. It seems more like beating people up. But that's what they called it. So you may have a gift of exhortation, and really it means comforting. It means encouraging. So you may be someone who notices that Sally is down today. You're at church, and you notice her. Now you can go maybe say, hey, can we, get, can we make a lunch a date? I'll bring... Some, some pizza over, and we'll have a talk, right? Use your gifts. If you are observant of people's moods and emotions, you may have this gift of exhortation and need to come and exhort people. So that was just a fun, fun gift. And then we have giving with generosity. This is something that I really think our church does well. Uh, our church does a good job in giving. We notice when people are struggling, and we provide resources to help remedy that. One of the wonderful things about being a member of this church is that the elder board, when you are financially struggling, will consider your needs, and sometimes we pay for something in your life. Pay for something that's struggling. Maybe your car breaks down or there's an unexpected medical bill, and we have the opportunity to, to think through it. Now, we also have the responsibility not to just give money willy-nilly when people have a problem every week, right? We have to consider that. And some, some churches have a benevolence plan that requires um, classes and certain requirements and stuff like that. So just be aware that being a member of a church also means that we will care for you financially as well. And then we have leading, which is pretty self-explanatory. You have to do it with diligence. If you have the gift of administration, we need it. Um, do it with diligence. Do it well. Be hawk-eyed in your obs observing of the task. We need people who have this gift of administration. Showing mercy. Showing mercy with cheerfulness. Does that sound like everything else we just heard? It's a little bit different. And whenever something's a little different in Scripture, I like to dig in. And I say, what is going on here? Why is it that if you are of the gift of showing mercy, that you should do this with cheerfulness? Because it's so easy to get a little disgruntled if you are that person who is known for showing mercy. If you're taken advantage of all the time, it's easy to lose cheerfulness. So, if your gifting is mercy, you have to fight against the habit of not being cheerful. So what, is, what do all these gifts have in common? Look at these gifts one more time. We have prophecy, we have 
service, we have teaching, we have exhorting, we have giving, we have leading, and we have mercy. What do these all have in common? Community. They require other people. You cannot do administration by yourself. You cannot do giving or generosity by yourself. Who are you going to teach? If you're just you're going to have like a classroom in your house and teach yourself, right? You have to have other people. So this is all a community organization. So we've all been given gifts. Christians have obligations to use that gift in the church. So you have to use your gift, and the best place to use it is in the church. Not only that, but when we use our gift in service to others, it stirs up more faith. Did you know that? The more I have to study Scripture for a sermon, the stronger my faith gets. The more my convictions harden around certain things. There are certain things in the Bible that I have studied hard, and I am, I've come away with a strong conviction about. There are other things that I'm kind of like, I don't know yet. I haven't gotten there yet. So, the more you use your gift, the more you begin to delight in God. The more you serve other people as you would serve the Lord, the more you begin to delight in God. Do you, you ever see that before? That if you use your gifts, you begin to get stronger faith. So, if you are disconnected from a local church, your faith may be weak because you're not using your gifts in service. In fact, when I do counseling, sometimes I really focus, especially with veterans, with PTSD, um, depression type stuff, I encourage them to do something in service to the church, whether it be parking lot detail, whether it be um, sweeping or mowing, or doing something, but in service to the church. Because many veterans who leave the military feel purposeless, don't they? So if you give them a purpose, even if it's small, they feel like they're contributing, which they are. So for me, that was the first thing that I did, is I served in the parking lot. And I loved it, because no one was asking me to do all this stuff. All I had to do was run around with an umbrella when it was raining, and cover people, and I would help bring in babies and, and do everything I could in the parking lot. That's a great place to serve. And it doesn't require any talent. It doesn't require even people skills. Just show up, say, how can I help? And if they say, get away from me, weirdo, then you, you go somewhere else. But there are places that you can go to serve, and you need other people. So would you have more of the life of God in your soul? That's, that's really the question. Would you have more of the life of God in your soul. I know that's a complicated way of saying, would you have more of God? Would you love God more? Then you need to serve. Are you complaining that your gifts are too small or insignificant? Maybe start using them. I don't know how many people who say, oh, my muscles are too tiny, will start lifting weights. If your gifts are insignificant or small, start using them. And begin to use them in service with the church. So let's conclude. Right thinking about our church family helps us mature together. We know that the local church is a vehicle for service. And that you must be a member and commit to a local church in order to be able to use your gifts properly for the good of others. So some of you have come to me and asked about new members classes. Which I'm glad because that's kind of the purpose of the new member or the Meaningful Membership Matters series. We will have a new members class after the series. We have to get it on the calendar. It's not there yet, but we will get it. 
And then you will be able to join us in the work that God has for us. But you can find a way to serve now. If you are interested in serving in the nursery or giving it a, a swing, it's not just for ladies. In fact, men make great nursery workers, by the way, because kids listen to a man's voice sometimes more than a woman's. I don't know why that is, but that happens. So sign up. We have to get you a background check, of course, and all the, the paperwork required, but there are places to serve. So sign up for the nursery. Sign up for teaching. My mom has a very easy curriculum for the children. Um, it's so easy a caveman could do it, right? So there are easy things that you can do to serve in this congregation while you are waiting on the new membership class, all right? So what, is, what are we going to take away this week that we can use for this week? What value have we learned from this? What is something that you can take back and dwell on and not forget by lunch? That meaningful membership matters. That you have a gift. So this week, figure out where you can serve in this church, in this congregation, this body of believers. Because we want to be a church that is a vehicle for the glory of God. So find a way, no matter how small and insignificant, that you can serve in this congregation. And it may not be next week. It may be the next time we do a uh, um, potluck. You may want to show up and help pick up the dishes, right? Small things and big things. So consider your giftings and see what God would have you use in our congregation. That's your task for the week. Let's go ahead and close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the truth of the gospel that Christ has come and that we as Christians can believe and have usefulness in this world. We don't have to be useless no matter what our background or our environment is. Father, we thank you for your mercy and your grace, and we thank you for Jesus Christ, the free gift of salvation that is extended, that we can believe and be saved. Father, if there's anyone in our congregation who does not know you in a personal, intimate way, that you would draw them to you, that you would encourage them this week to reach out to me or one of the elders or any of our members and share with them their desire to become a believer in Jesus Christ. Father, we thank you once again for this worship service that we are able to worship you in spirit and truth. And thank you for all that who sacrifice for the good of this church um, day in and day out. And we thank you for your mercy. Be with our country. Guide our uh, le legislators, our judicial and our executive branches, that they would make wise decisions for the glory of God, that they would be humbled and repent of unrighteousness, and that they would turn to you. Father, thank you for these United States, and God bless America. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.